Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. All right, you guys. So on today's episode of Habits and Hustle, we have a really good guest. We have Dana Cavalia. I said the name correctly. You got it. And Dana was the director of strength and conditioning and performance for the New York Yankees, uh, left a few years ago, and is, has a very thriving career as a performance coach. But before we start, a few words from our sponsor. So here's something a lot of listeners will be interested in. Orgain's grant for greater good. Orgain is giving away $150,000 in grant money. So if you're a startup business working in nutrition, mind-body wellness, or promoting healthy lifestyles, then you should listen up. So if you're like me, you know how challenging it is to start your own business. So having the right support and more money to work with can really help. And that's where Orgain comes in. Orgain is a brand that makes convenient and clean nutritional products. It was founded by Dr. Andrew Abram, who is a great story. He actually developed the original nutritional shake during his fight to beat cancer while he was a teenager. He realized he wanted to share this recipe with the world, so he actually quit his job as a doctor and founded Orgain. Now, Andrew knows from firsthand experience that people who want to change the world one idea at a time often need financial support to get off the ground. And he wants to pay it forward. So Orgain will choose three deserving startups and grant them $50,000 each to help take their business to the next level. To apply for the program, your startup needs to be two years or older and in the business of promoting healthy, vibrant lives, either through nutrition, active lifestyles, or mindfulness. The application period ends March 20th. So if you think you're a good fit, please visit orgain.com slash grants today to learn more. That's orgain.com slash grants to learn more. I was going to say, if you're going to work for any team as a strength and conditioning coach, the Yankees is probably the best team to work for, was for yeah. in terms of like brand recognition, correct? Right, right. And, you know, we had some unbelievable players through the years, too you know, that help enhance that brand. Oh, absolutely. And you got them to the World Series and there's... Yeah. We World Series in 2009. That's when we won. Right. But, you know, we're competitive every year. So we we were in the playoffs every year. That's so, kind of what we do in New York. That's right, of course. So first, I'm just curious, like, what exactly was your role? Like, what did you do from A to Z as Director of Strength and Conditioning? Yeah, so my, my role was to oversee basically all aspects of performance. So when you look at a player, you see the player on the field, but there's a lot that goes into getting that player on the field, right? So everything from stretching to helping them with their mindset, helping them with their nutrition. For some guys, it's helping them to lose weight. Other guys, it's helping them to gain weight. Right, right, right. right. So it's understanding where the player's at today and where we want to take that player. And then what are the steps strategies and processes we use to get them game ready. Right. You know? So how did you even get that job? I mean, that's probably a very coveted job yeah. in terms of any type of training place. Like hmm. that would be like the number one, like the pinnacle of any yeah. kind of coaching, strengthening position. Yeah. I, I started, uh, believe it or not, as an intern working for free at 19 years old. So I decided to go to the University of South Florida down in Tampa, leave New York and go to the land of the palm trees on the East Coast, that is. And, um, you know, I just, I, I loved baseball and I had to make a decision myself. Do you want to keep playing or do you feel like there's a better fit for you maybe in another role? And I realized that I wasn't good enough to make it to the big leagues as a player just by my own self-analysis and the analysis of Major League Baseball scouts. So I said, what do you love most? I loved training for the game. And I also loved coaching people. And I had some great coaches and I had some bad coaches. And the bad coaches set me back and the great coaches accelerated me forward. Right. And then I realized, wow, there's a position where I can combine the training and the coaching and it's called strength and conditioning coach. Let me do that. 
So I, I literally, I started working at the University of South Florida with a football team, a sport that I really didn't have any interest in. Right. And the Yankees come to spring training in Florida in February. So I drive my old car up to the stadium because I knew they were in town. And I walk up, I park about a mile and a half away. And I'm taking pictures of the team, Derek Jeter, you know, uh, Mariano Rivera, Roger Clemens, all these great players with my flip phone through a chain link fence. A flip phone, oh my gosh. Yeah, so it takes back to about 2002 we're going back to. And uh, later that day, I ended up going back to my internship at um, at the university. The head coach says, hey, Data, can you come into my office? I want to talk to you. Now in New York, when someone says, come into my office, I want to talk to you, you know, you're about to get whacked and you're done. So I ended up um, sitting with him and he said, listen, I just got a call from the head coach with the Yankees and they need somebody to basically hand out water, hand out towels and watch the weight room while the head guy's on the field. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, you know what, as a matter of fact, I just got back from there and I would love that opportunity. So uh, I said, when do I start? He says, you start tomorrow. So the next day I get back in my beat up old Mazda 929 car and I drive up to the stadium. This time I got a spot up front waiting for me, which was really cool. I walk in the main office. They say, hey, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah. And she says, uh, okay, well, here's your credential. So they throw it around my neck. It says my name. It says C for clubhouse, F for field access. They walk me in to meet the head equipment guy. And uh, he throws me in Yankee gear. And next thing you know, they're escorting me out to that same field I was taking pictures of a day earlier. And I'm right in the middle of a team stretch. Wow. Looking at all these players. So that's that's how that happened. And then literally about two years later, I, between that time and two years later, I did a lot of working for free, learning my craft. And um, they hired me as an assistant. And a couple months into the season, they let the head guy go and they advanced me as a 23-year-old kid, basically, to, wow. to run the organization from the performance side of things. So it was a great, great journey. That's amazing. I, I, can, I can imagine being like a New York native and yeah. then being able to like work for the Yankees, that's like a dream come true for any guy. Yeah, well, it's crazy because, you know, when you're in high school, you're buying Derek Jeter's shoes. Yeah. And a few years later, you know, you're hanging out with him at dinner and a movie theater and flying on his plane. And it's like, this is this is pretty cool. But what's even better than all that stuff is actually getting to know the guys as people, uh, not just players. Well, you know, I should say also, I didn't say at the beginning, you wrote a really good book. It's called The Habits of Champions, right? right? Habits, Habits, of of a, champion. Habits of a Champion. Um, nobody becomes a champion by accident. And I actually think it's a very, not actually, I'm not shocked by it, but right. it's a very good read. And it's very, there's a lot, it's, it's very like, they're, they're, it's just basically to the point. There's yeah. no, there's not very much fluff. It's basically, here are 15 things that make a champion. Yeah. Wasn't it 15? There's, there's 15 lessons in there and and, the and then like a lot of sub sub lessons sub lessons within that and, and i loved it and you know what i also noticed was and when and i'd like to see this like I, you people hear all the time like Derek jeter is like a very he's a gentleman he's like a class act and in your book you make actually it sounds like he really was you you kind of referenced him a lot you quoted him a lot yeah um, it sounds like you learned a lot from that that relationship. Yeah, so here I am. I'm brought in to help these players, right. you know, with their overall performance. And it's a very reciprocal relationship in that at the same time, they're helping me with mine. Right. You know, like I said, I was a, a kid that was, you know, like any other kid trying to find his way. And when these guys were coming up into the big league. So I looked up to them almost as, you know, teenage for me, my idols right, right in the world of sports. And now here I am you know, having to coach them, but I'm also learning from them at the same time. And I learned what what makes great players great, Mm -hmm. what makes average players average, and what makes players that come up and go right down those sort of players. No, I think that's that's a great segue into what I was going to say to you and ask you. Um, The first thing that I saw in your book, um, which I I love the way you worded it, it was like, you got to hate to lose more than you love to win. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's definitely a, a, a Jeterism, yeah. <laughs> if you will. But it was something that, that I saw. What what makes these great players great? And they had that chip on their shoulder. They had an edge to them. And it wasn't forced. It wasn't something they faked. It was just something that came with their package, right? They had an expectation of personal excellence. And that personal excellence, they also um, they put that expectation onto you as well. Right? right, so you better be on time because I'm on time, right? Right. You better approach your day the way we approach our day, 
which is like that of a winner, right? There's no excuses. There's no, um, you know, this, this, it's very direct language that we use in sports. Well, you said, I think you said in the book something like, um, if someone doesn't respect your time, they don't respect you. Yeah. That's, I think you said that Derek Jeter yeah. was saying to you. Right. There was, a, there was a time when I was waiting in a weight room in Boston and I, I was waiting on a player and I had Derek right after that other player. Derek came down early and he said, hey, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm waiting for so-and-so. And he says, well, where is he? Who was so-and-so? I can't tell you. Why not? That's a, this is, <laughs> no. what, this so, is all part of the thing. You know, yeah, you're going to tell us. Yeah, that it was actually one of our... One of our um, other marquee players. Was it A-Rod? It was A-Rod. It was A-Rod? It was A-Rod. And he's one of my, one of my close, close friends. Right. But in that moment, you know, in Boston, maybe he went out a little bit the night before right. or whatever. But, um, but we had an early appointment and he didn't make it that day. Well, how long did he make you wait or he just stand you up completely? Well, I got a text right uh, around, I'd say I was supposed to work with a Jeter around 10. Right. And I got a text from Alex around 10. Hey, are you available? So I guess whatever happened, happened. Right. But ultimately at 10 a.m. I had my, my session with the captain. Now, was there a lot of, inf like, what was the relationship dynamic between A-Rod and Jeter at, uh, like, from the inside? Yeah, from the inside. I mean, listen, when you come inside of a, uh, uh, our clubhouse, you know, you see all these tables where guys eat lunch together and they eat dinner together. Right. You're almost eating every meal together. And, um, you know, a lot of what was made up on the outside was not really true on the inside. You know, there's there's a public image that players have, and then there's a real image that players have. Mm -hmm. And for us, you never felt any rifts. You never felt that. And you know, in sport, which is I find to be very different than I say the real world and business. When there's a problem, we address it, and that problem is addressed. And then you're sitting at the same table having dinner together. So I've seen guys literally have fist fights with each other on the field during stretch. Mm -hmm. And a few hours later, they're having dinner together like nothing happened. So it's very raw and it's very emotional. It's very intense. But then it simmers once it's addressed. You know, there's not a lot of passive aggressive behavior. There's not a lot of holding on. Mm -hmm. If I have a problem with you, I'm going to tell you. We're going to address it. And then the dust will settle and it's business as usual. So that people don't really harbor resentment or animosity. Nah. No, because the undertone of all of it is that I have a respect for you and you have a respect mm -hmm. for me because we're the greatest in the world at what we do. We're the top 1%. We're professional athletes. 99% of the world is not. So we have a gift and we know it and I respect yours and you respect mine. That's the undertone that sits there. So when, so when you were saying earlier about, you know, you gotta hate to, the whole hate to lose more than you love to win, right? right? And then you said something about, you know, the people who, may, or who are made to be, who are champions, they have like an innate chip on their shoulder, right? That's right. what you kind of said. Right. I saw that uh, another thing that you said that is that it says you act, the ones who actually make it without just beyond their genetic talent often come from a situation of hardship and like a tough life because they never want to go back to yeah. that world. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. that in sport and business. I, I have some, um, guys that I work with that are multi-billionaires that right. came from the streets of Brooklyn when Brooklyn was not what it is today. It wasn't in this Renaissance period or gentrification period. It was a dump and it was a hard way to live and a hard way to grow up. And, and uh, one of them yeah. was just telling me a few months ago, they could still smell what the lobby smelled like in their building and they never want to go back to that. Right. And in sports, you know, players that come from the Dominican Republic, they come from really poor situations. They never want to go back to that. What I found is a lot of players, they come from middle class backgrounds to lower income situations. And it just is something that's always in the back of their mind that here is something that where I can have this great level of achievement, you know, financially, I can set my, my family up for generations. And if I don't make it, then I have to go back to that. Yeah. And I don't want to go back there. And I see that all the time. It's like kind of like you need in order to build and not always, there's always like an exception to every rule. I understand that, but like grit and character are usually like the found the, is a foundation of someone who had to like 
work really hard to kind of get to that point and like struggle and persevere. And, you know, when you're usually like born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Yeah. Right. And like you were saying in the books, I mean, like, you know, if you're like driving, if your family's driving around in a Tesla and you're doing this and you're, what was the other, like, like, what were you saying in the book? was like, I'm trying to think of the the exact exact example that, that you're going with. Um, It was, um, Gosh, I can't. Something like you know, you're basically like you're you're born to privilege. Yeah. You know the chances of you making it to are, that to the, being that like to, and, and sustaining it. Right. Was it, it goes it goes down. I mean, there's been research studies that have done been done on this that talk about you know where you kind of enter, what your your chances are for success. Right. You know, and and there's different kinds of success. You know, if you grow up in a privileged situation, it doesn't mean that you're not going to make it. Right, you've already made it. Now you have to kind of reset your bar. And when I work with with the kids of some of the business leaders that I work with, this is what we talk about. Like, hey, this is what your mom and dad did, mm-hmm. but what are you going to do? Yeah, right. Absolutely. So it's not about you know if you come from a better situation that you don't have a chance. You just have to reset what it is that you want to do and determine what your own vision for yourself is. Absolutely. Right? So, what would you say the one? through line is from every from between let's say jeter everybody they i mean they all have these character traits right yeah but the one the most that's the most fundamental quality that they all have yeah. Con- consistency and it's consistency in their actions it's consistency in their words and it's consistency in their behaviors when you're around these people you they're never going to surprise you what you know what you're going to get you know, they're not going to come in with one attitude one day and another attitude another day. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to just totally lose it on somebody because that's not of their cut. Right. You know, I have this saying where I say they ride the middle line in life. They don't get too high. They don't get too low. They stay right in the middle with little ups and little downs, but not enough to where you'd walk away and say, wow, what was that? I didn't expect that. I've never seen that before. Right. So there's a lot of consistency in behavior and, and obviously their words. And like you just said, also never getting too high and never getting too low, kind of maintaining that like middle ground. I, I, I see that all the time, too. I mean, people who, who, who make decisions from an emotional state right. versus people who can like make, it, make a decision from much more of a rational even Steven state. Right. Right. I yeah. see there's a big there. there there's a. Um, Again, there's like something you can see in someone's overall character when they kind of stay like long, kind of steady versus these irrational behaviors, ups and spikes and down, like, because you can only sustain that behavior for so long. And And then it gives other people, it's exhausting, but it also other people don't learn not to trust that, trust you in that behavior. I mean, the other thing that you said, I think was, I don't know if it was something it wasn't from a baseball player, but one of your, uh, I guess, private clients. Yeah. About like, there's three kinds of people. Yeah. yeah there's right? a, he, smart, right? Ba- a smart person, a bad person, and a stupid person. Right. And stay away from the stupid person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So this, so he's he works with um, he's actually in the private equity world. Right. And he was with uh, Guggenheim, and he told me this lesson and I, I always enjoyed it and because he's a professional negotiator. He goes around the world and courts the world's billionaires right. and basically tries to take their money so he could reinvest it into his fund. And he said, you know, there's three types of people in this world, right? You have smart, you have bad, and you have stupid. He said, smart people, you know what you got. They're smart, right? Bad people, you know what you have. They're bad. Stupid people, you you they're the most difficult to negotiate with because you don't know what they're bringing Mm -hmm. and neither do they. So they may say one thing and pivot into something else. And just in one meeting, they could put on many different faces. It's it's because they're inconsistent. And and again, it's it's back to that point of you don't know what you're going to get. Their behavior is not consistent. So then it's hard. It's like, but I would say all if, yeah, like I always say the worst kind of person is a stupid person, right? Because you're, you can't rationalize with that kind of person. You can rationalize with the smart person. You can rationalize with a bad person. Yeah. But the stupid people, you're right. But then how do you know? If somebody's stupid? How do you know if somebody's yeah. truly yeah. stupid? Yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's up for your own interpretation of what that means. But I, I think like, you know, if you think about your day and your life, you're typically going to have a very similar type of person that you're around. And then all of a sudden there's this person that sticks out, right? And that person sticks out. They're either sticking out because they're brilliant and, they're, and you're like, wow, 
this person's really something. Or they're sticking out because you just can't figure them out and they make you feel a certain way and you feel uneasy and you don't know how to how to handle them, right? Right. So so, so that's that's how we will classify stupid. It's just somebody that doesn't kind of fit your natural daily um, mold or interactions of the people that you're used to being around. Wow, um, yeah. No, that's I, 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 I actually, I think anybody who would listen to you say that can, can think about a time and an experience where that's so true, yeah, right? Where yeah, or a couple it, names. A couple names that come to mind pretty <laughs> easily. How is it different now? Like, as you segued out of, you know, working with a professional sports team, now with CEOs and all these, like, high-level executives, how has that transition been? Like, what's yeah. the difference? It's, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of similarities in terms of expectations and intensity. Mm -hmm. The one thing I find is a lot of executives and a lot of leaders, you know, number one, they haven't been coached in a really long time, if ever, mm -hmm. right, since their youth sports days. Um, number two, they haven't actually been trained on how to handle the aggressiveness of their schedule. Um, they haven't learned how to manage their own schedule oftentimes. They haven't learned how to manage, you know, their own personal life, personal relationships as it relates to their whole career, mm -hmm. right? You know, in sports, we're grooming these guys to deal with those things. If they have an issue with a, with a spouse or with a girlfriend, boom, we're right on it to talk about it. You know, as a, as a business leader, who, who are you going to? Right, right. You're right. going to have to hire maybe some sort of psychiatrist. But if they don't understand everything about your work and, and how your mind works and the intensity that goes with what it is that you're doing, it's a little bit different. So I, where I come in is I, I work as a personal coach now to these executives, to these leaders, as well as still working with professional athletes as kind of this behind the scenes go to support that they have somebody where they could lean on. So I help them design their physical training programs, their mental training programs, and wrapped around uh, nutrition, and wrapped around all of that is just someone to talk to when they're dealing with something. Well, you know what? It's, and I, you saw this in the book, and I, you said about fit to win, which is one of the habits, right? Yeah. And of course, me coming from the fitness business and world, you know, of course it resonates, right? Because I think a lot of people don't understand that when you are physically fit, mental, I mean, that, and you're eating properly, working out, doing all those things that taking care of yourself, it is a direct translation into how you act and are in the rest of the world. Like how you right. do one thing in, the, in life is how you're going to do everything else in life. Right. And then it's like, people are always like, well, how, and they say this to me, like, oh, okay, so now you did that. How did you ricochet into being a performance coach with, with, with all these CEOs or whoever? And it's like, you know what? Because when you get the fundamentals down, right. which is like how to take care of yourself, you know, create habits, routine, and the physical and the fitness and the diet, that it, it, it tweaks your mindset. Yeah. Right? And you become, and that's when you have a different mindset, you behave differently to the world. Exactly. You're a perfect person to be that person for. Yeah. And, you know? and, I've, and I've enjoyed it. You know, I, I approach them as if they're athletes, as right. if they're, you know, Derek Jeter. Again, I'll, I'll talk about these executives. You know, a lot of them, they're like wild dogs. They're aggressive, hungry, yeah. wild dogs. And what's plaguing most of them, right? Stress, anxiety, and, and, and a mind that's all over the place. And somebody says, well, now here's what you should do, right? You, you should do meditation and you should do deep breathing and all that. And I say, what do you do when your dog's going crazy in the house? You open the door and you let the dog out. Right. We right, have right. to teach them to first, we have to, before we get into meditation or any of that, these guys are, are, are high energy, high octane. We got to burn that top layer off. And then we could get into the other things. But like not even about meditation. I think the importance of having a structured routine, if, if meditation isn't even your thing, and you say this even in your book, then like pick what works for you, right? Yeah. So like I think having, just working a lot, and you said this also, doesn't necessarily equate to being successful or really anything. What makes you successful is having a really honed in schedule and being efficient. And owning that. And owning and that. Because at the same time, if you if you don't own it, now you're vulnerable. And right. now you're questioning, hey, you know, I only worked four hours today, but I got everything done that I had to get done. But this guy over here, he's working eight. Maybe I should work eight. And, and again, we'll go back to the pro athletes. They have a tremendous amount of conviction. They don't care what you think. They don't right. care what I think. They're very coachable but they have their core values, they have their focus, and they know where they're going. It's just a matter of who's coming with them. 
I was going to say to you, like, how do you find it difficult to coach someone? These, te- these all these people who, who have type A personalities, they tend to want to do things their own way and want to do things how they, on yeah. their schedule, which is kind of like the irony of this whole thing, right? Because those are the people who also invest in coaches because they want to like level up and make it better. But at the same time, it sometimes can be hard to yeah. train them. What are your strategies to help people who are super type A listen to you yeah. and put them on a very strict schedule yeah. that's better for them? Something I, I always say is I, I'm not afraid to wrestle them like an alligator, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah. so these guys there and, and ladies too, very aggressive people. Typically, um, I always say you got to get on top of them, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody ever gets on top of them. But what I find in coaching them, they'll always give you something. And then when you find that something, you hammer. Mm-hmm. Whatever that something may be, it's different for every single person. Um, like some, when you're talking with them and you're, you, you, the, the, the one thing, they're such straight shooters mm-hmm. that if you catch them in their own bullshit and you hold the mirror up to it, you can pause them for a second. Because nobody, again, think about their position in life. They're used to telling. They're always used to playing offense. Right. So as soon as you can get them in a semi-defensive position, You've now created a hole and then a great coach finds that and goes right at it. And that opens up the dialogue. So I know it's a, a little bit deep, but no, it's under, but, I mean, it's not anything that I can understand. Though. Yeah. Like, yeah. So deep no, that some, people, some people me. may say, wait, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, no, what are you I understand about what you're saying. You're saying that like, usually people have like, they, you, you they show you, a, they, they show you something like a, where you can then like a small little sliver where you can open open up right. and go through it. But a lot of times people can be super defensive, right? Like yeah. it depends on how self-aware they are or how, how much they can listen to. Yeah. You know, I know that a lot of times I've worked with people and, you know, no matter, no matter what, they want to do what they want to do. And they have a very strong conviction when it comes yeah. to that. Well, so well part two is I, I have a strong conviction too, and that right. I don't have to work with you. Right. So then you right. So, so then you I can leave. You walk away. I, you you don't own me. Right. Right. So nobody does. Right. I own myself. I own my thoughts. I own my action. So at the same time, if 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 you're asking me to come and help you, and you're not coachable, I treat you like any other uncoachable player. When you're ready to be coached, let me know. Has there been anybody that? in your experiences has been that has been uncoachable yes okay 100 percent um anyone i know no no these are guys and and i will say what's interesting about a lot of the guys that i work with uh, especially on the business side they don't want to be very they don't want to be known they're not like the household names you know in in business but they're very they've been very successful but some of them they're just not in a place where they say they're open but they're not open right so ultimately at that point you just walk, you just leave and say, because part of when you're building a business, mm-hmm. you're building the business that's right for you. And you have to build a business that has the people that are also right for you. Because mm-hmm. in order to build your own brand, in order to build any brand, you have to have fans and you need people to take to your to your words and take to, to your coaching so then they could go out and be great billboards for themselves and for the coaching. So... What may, like, let's talk about like Derek Jeter versus A Rod, and the only reason why I'm bringing those two up are because they're the most well known to me, right? Right, um, and I want to talk about like how are, how did they, well, how was their work ethic different? How did <laughs> it's pretty, you know it was pretty actually pretty simple, different were they from, different at all from different from each other. Um, Alex was much more of a guy that he always wanted to do more because that more made him feel more prepared, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. made him feel more secure in his ability to go out on the field and play. Right. A guy like Derek Jeter knew exactly how much he needed. And when he hit that point, he stopped. It wasn't about, well, I have to do more and more will make me more prepared. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what he needed in order to be prepared. So that's interesting because then you're saying that did, he, did A-Rod work more so than the whole thing about time like he thought the more time he put in would make him more successful right so he and so Derek Jeter worked smarter he was more efficient with his time well I think when you when you kind of peel that back the the thing for Alex was I think he really did need it because I I believe that his mind was much more active Mm. than a guy like Derek and he used that extra work 
to actually keep him calm, mm -hmm. right? But it wasn't actually excessive amount of work. It was probably 20% more than a guy like Jeter. But again, every person, every player is unique. But they were naturally, these are people who are naturally, like we we're talking earlier, they're genetically dispositioned to be champions too. Right. They had natural innate talent and then they honed their talent, right? right? Now, can you, let's talk about somebody who we said earlier, who maybe wasn't as gifted genetically, but then because of their consistency, their work ethic, their discipline, their conviction, was able to become a superstar. Right, so you have a player, we have a player in New York now, his name's Brett Gardner, right? He went to a, a smaller college, wasn't a high draft pick, but he's had a long career, 10 year career, which is unheard of because he's, you know, he's probably five foot five, <laughs> five foot six. So he's wow. a small guy, he's a speed guy. Um, but a guy like him, he's got a very, very strong mind. He's very willed to go where it is that he wants to go. And, and that's his greatest gift. You know, he was naturally born with a great body. He was naturally born with speed. He's not into training that much, but he grew up working on a farm. So he has what we call farm boy strength, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. a, a totally different profile. So he was able to- What's maintain. farm boys, what is that? It's just guys that are naturally strong, right. um, you know, the strong joints, strong tendons uh, from basically growing up with manual labor. Right. Like physically strong. Physically yes. strong. Yeah, yeah not right. weightlifting strong, right. not gym strong. When they go in the gym, they're not that strong but their, their body, it feels strong. Right. They have, they have um, just this strength within them. Well, it's also because of they, they, were, they were bred that way, bred, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like Kentucky horses. Yeah, you know? exactly. Same thing. You Same know? thing. So they were, born, they were born that way. So that, that's an example of a player that definitely doesn't have the same talent profile as some of the guys that we're talking about, but through consistency, um, through his own work ethic, and focus on where his holes are mm -hmm. in his own game. He's actually focusing on those. Yeah. That's how he's been able to maintain performance. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. So everybody loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? Yeah, that could be a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. You can sign, store, and organize employee documents all online. And you can choose from hundreds of benefit plans to fit nearly any budget. Plus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. So if you want a better payroll in 2020, now is the time to start. Try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash hustle. That's gusto.com slash hustle for three months free when you run your first payroll. And now to our next sponsor. So what if you could spend less time juggling email, meetings, and status updates, and more time doing the work that matters most to your team? You know, like pushing boundaries, solving problems, and making something real. So whether you're planning your next marketing campaign, launching new products, or onboarding new vendors, Asana reduces the busy work that wastes time. And it gives your team clarity so they understand their plans and goals and how they will achieve them together. So from small companies to global enterprises, more than a million teams across 195 countries use Asana to plan, organize, and execute their work. So learn more and try Asana for free. Visit asana.com to get started. You know what I find also super interesting is in like today's time, right? You have in the wellness space, you have so many different modalities to like, to basically get to the next level. You have all the different like red light, near infrared, red light, infrared saunas, you have um, cryotherapies, you have ice baths, you have all these things you have, you have, um, I can go on and on. Yeah. Like you have the intermittent diets, all the different fads and diets. But at the end of the day, you have hyperbaric chambers. I, mean, I can go on. Yeah, yeah. IVs, but really, and you said this in your book, how really, to be the best or to be a champion, it's usually the most basic shit yeah. that you need to master and just do it over and over again. Like, do you think that all, everything that's kind of like 
evolved and happened over the last, you know, lately of, of, of the last five, eight years, let's say, is kind of superfluous nonsense. Yeah, I do, actually. And yeah. I, a lot of elite players, it's funny that you say that, you know, because I would bring in a, what I would classify as like a gimmick, right? Yeah. And these these elite players, the Hall of Fame guys, like, come on, man, right. what are you doing with that? Get that out of here. I'm not doing. I'm not using that. Get that away from me. I'm not using that. Right. They're just not into it. They don't subscribe to that. Now, what I say is this, right? Every person, every player is different. All these different modalities that are out there, those are just tools. And at different times, you need different tools. Just right. like if you're building a house or you're building anything, you need different tools for different things. And that's the way it works. Right. So cryotherapy, some guys actually may get too stiff from that. They may hate it. They may be have an adverse reaction to that level of cold. Right. Right. There's still questions that say, does this even work? Right. Right. Because a lot of these things, by yeah, the way. Exactly. You yeah. know, um, so I have a buddy who's a doctor and he's like, listen, the IV, he goes, most of that you're just going to excrete anyway. It's most just, doctors do say that. Yeah. So. So when you start to look at all of these things, you say, okay, what, what are the essentials, right? What do we need, right? I said, okay, well, if you're training an athlete, we need to make sure that they're strong, they're powerful, they're flexible, they're mobile. So those are the key things that we focus on. Right. You know, from their mindset standpoint, they have to be positive. They have to be, um, you know, they have to believe in themselves, right? These are key principles. So let's focus on those things, right? When they get down, we have to figure out ways to lift them up. Mm -hmm. So these, these are the basics when it comes to fueling. How are they reacting to certain you know, macronutrients versus others, certain ratios versus others? So we figured all this stuff out and then we say, hey, this is what, what works for you. Do you believe in this? Yes or no? If not, we modify, we pivot. We right. find what works for that person. But it's, it's not looking for what's the next tool. It's actually looking at the person and saying, hey, what do you need right now in this moment today? Right. I, I feel like a lot of things become other directed and noise, right? Because instead of like kind of just staying on, on, on program and just staying with the fundamentals and like I'm a lot, a lot of the super athletes I've spoken to, worked with or whoever it is who who achieve and succeed at like an extraordinary level. They're like, oh God, here, here you go again, yeah. Jennifer, with another like, you know, ridiculous thing that I, we know we should be incorporating. Like someone else is where I where where I'm like telling them about a new modality. They're like, yeah. I don't care. I just do. I, I do what I do. I eat the way I've been eating for 20 years and it's been working for right. me, you know, and like they're at a, they're at a higher level than most people. Yeah. And there's some like there's some players that we found that they play better, heavier. They play better with extra body fat. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, and if Sometimes, you look at them, you say, hey. That can't be true. That's we're trying to create this ultimate sculpt, and and we've seen players throwing fastballs at 98 when they're at one weight, and they're throwing it at 95 when they're at another weight. That's a problem, not a that that's a big problem. Right. When a guy's fastball drops three miles an hour. Well, baseball's different though. Like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm like the biggest baseball fan in the world because yeah. you know I'm not. Um, but I, I I I know the basics. And I find it to be like a different sport, though, because looking like you just said, looking at people who play baseball, they don't look like the most like fit and sculpted athletes, right. you know, but it's again, like you were saying, it's about like just because that doesn't mean anything, right? You can have a lot of power and strength, but have 30 pounds extra on you. Just people, everyone's different. And like every sport you train differently. Exactly. For. Yeah. Every sport you train, you train differently for that's, that's the bottom line. But, and then I ask average people, Hey, what? Or what, late, how, everyday people, everyday civilians. People. Yes. Yeah. Civilians. Yeah. How, you know, how do you train? And, and, and they have no idea. Some people, they, they're always guessing, right? There's no plan. There's just a, a constant guessing that goes on as to how they go about. They don't know why they have a good day. They don't know why they have a bad day. Right. They don't know why they feel tired some days and some days why they feel good. They don't know why they sleep poorly one night and why they sleep great another night. They have no idea, right? right. They know more about their car than they know about themselves. No, I mean, you're, so basically you're saying that people should have a plan. It doesn't matter how fancy the plan is. Usually the most basic plan is 
is fine. It, it's the plan for you. Plan. It, and it has to be a plan for you, right? It's like, you know, we, we read so much about diet, right? Mm -hmm. You have to get in your greens. And, you know, there was the kale revolution that, yes. that was gone Coconut on. Oil and you, oil. you have your t-shirt that says kale and, and all that. And, and at the same time, if, if I put that in your plan and you hate it, you're never going to eat it. Right. You know, so it's not going to work for you. So whatever the plan is, it must be curated and individualized to you. That's all that matters. Absolutely. That's why people are always like, what's the best exercise yeah. to do? Whatever one you're going to actually do is the best exercise to do. Yeah. If I tell you to go kickboxing and you absolutely hate it, you're never going to do it. So you have, I think it's trial and error. People have to try what try things to know what works for them yeah. and what they like to do. Totally. And in pro sports, yeah. what's a little bit different is like for me, I had oversee $300 million in human assets, human right. capital. Right. And they all come with a with an injury history that some are this big and some will go down to the floor. Right. So we also have to teach them and protect them from themselves, right? If you have a history of lower back issues, there are certain things that you just can't do. So you know, what, so... You know, I get that. So what are, like, walk me through a day in the life of training these people, these yeah. these, at, these <laughs> professional athletes at that high level yeah. from beginning to end. I know you say stretching and this and that. I want to know exactly. Yeah. So, what, so what, what we do is we, you know, when we first get our players in for the year, right? And what we do is we do a thorough assessment and evaluation, everything from postural analysis to how much joint range of motion you have. We actually measure your shoulders, measure your hips, measure your torso rotation. We measure it all. And then what we do is we begin to classify the player. Where are they at the highest risk and where are they at the lowest risk? And then what we do is we tailor and design programming to focus on where the highest highest risk factors are. Because mm -hmm. again, some of these guys and at bat, one at bat could be worth $75,000 to $150,000. So if he doesn't make a few at bats that night, it could cost the team half a million dollars. Wow. Right? Or during that week. Right. Right? So we have to really be aware of that. So where's your weaknesses and what are your natural strengths, right? So what we do is we get all this data, we cross-reference that with their previous injury history. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we create these custom tailored plans. So where does it begin, right? For me, it always begins with soft tissue. What's the quality of your soft tissue? Where are do you have... Um, disturbance, you know, wh what's going on in your soft tissue that may be limiting your hip range of motion. Mm -hmm. So we actually work on their soft tissue with our hands, with our elbows, with different, you know, manual, manual yeah. therapy. We do a lot of manual therapy. So every player, we have a custom plan. They come in, boom, we hit their manual therapy. From there, we take them into their core development. We take them into their prehabilitative protocols, which are injury prevention based protocols based on our assessments and our evaluations. Then from there, we condition them and then we get them into a strength based program that's specific to them. And then we recover them after the game. So, wow, this is a process and we just execute that process over and over again. So how many hours a day in training do these people? Well, if they're just going to come in and do their manual therapy and some of their, you know, prehabilitative work, they could be in for maybe 30 minutes. But what we do is we try to get a full program at least three days a week. And in the off season, it expands out to four. So these people don't like, so the teams don't work out together. Like you don't like train everyone together. Everyone's individual. Yeah, everyone's an individual. But like, so while, while in season, because uh, you're saying oh, I train Derek at 10 o'clock and I train uh, A-Rod at nine. Like, do you do like, I would imagine, this is how I would think it you would do. You'd be like, it was like any other kind of uh, situation where you'd be like, I train, I'm training this person from nine to 10. This comes up from 10 to 11. Like you had a, like a schedule where you have an hour workout with each player. Yeah. So it's kind of like, they actually like drip in. Right. So starting from, don't forget, we have a seven o'clock start time on a game. Right. So they get in, guys are getting in one, one thirty. But that's game days. So I'm that, talking off game days. Well, the thing is in baseball, we play 162. I know. So we play almost every day. So that, be, so that becomes the, that becomes your, your schedule. But what, what I did was, so let's say yes. I spent 20 minutes with you on your manuals therapy. Yeah. Well, not every player needs that, right? right? So if we have a 25 man roster, uh, let's say only half of them need manual therapy. That's 13. Okay. So, or 12 and a half. Right. And it's 20 minutes a person. And I may need this person every other day. So it's not as much. So once I do the manual therapy, they know their plan after that. And they do it themselves. They do it themselves. But 
we're all in a very uh, small and contained space. Right. So do you have other people who work? Do you, did you have other people who worked underneath you yep. who were like, okay, you're going to be working on this guy and that guy? Yeah, we had different uh, um, like minor league coordinators and coordinators as well that, that, that were there. So it's, uh, and it's a team-based approach. We have a great athletic training staff. So there was a team of us, but I quarterbacked the performance side of things. Right, right, right. You know, and, and, and now when you work with the, the non-pros and you're working with these elite executives, right. you're introducing them to something like this that they've never even thought of before. Because for them, in their mind, it's like, do I do soul cycle today? Or am I going to do some sort of spin class? Right. Should I do yoga? What, what, what should I do? Right. You know? And what do you, and so, by the way, what do you do? What's your, what's your daily routine? What's my daily routine? Yeah. Well, one thing I try to do every day is I try to get, uh, it's like my own little therapeutic walk. Right. That's like a big, a big thing for me. Uh, just kind of where I, I get to unplug from my tech and I get to just be, right? right. So that, that, that's a big thing. And I love cycling is something that I, that I really enjoy. And I actually just picked up, because um, I do have a history of uh, lower back issues, mm. um, yeah. just from lifting like, like, a, like a clown when I was younger. <laughs> right. um, I started to do Pilates. Oh, okay. oh yeah yeah reformer based pilates right and that's been really um it's been great actually do you and so do you what do you work do you wake up at a very specific time every day or um you know when i travel it, it, i just say this the first thing i do is my exercise because right. i don't because there's days when i travel like here on the west coast right you know tonight i i land at 11 and in, in new york and then i have to get back on that time so my rule is the, f the first thing I do mm -hmm. is exercise and I like the last thing I do to also be something physical as well. So I try to split my day like that and then somewhere in between that I put, put a walk. So you do two workouts a day then or yeah, I do and two, plus, I, plus a walk? Yeah. Okay. So, wow. so, but then you have to understand also how I, tr I typically break up my day. Right. So I believe in working in 90 minute blocks. So I only do four 90 minute blocks a day. I do 90 minutes, break, 90 minutes, break, 90, break, 90. So I'm, I'm working six hours a day, typically four to six hours a day right. in these blocks because I, like I, I can't give you more attention than 90 minutes. I, I, my, I'm not wired like that. I'm an on-field coach. I'm, I'm used to being out there. So when I have to write a book, I'm not sitting writing for four hours. I'm right. writing for 90 minutes and then I get up and do something else. About 30 minutes, I can be active moving around. And then I'm back at it again. So I, you know, what's great about that, and I like that, um, is because it truthfully is like it's reality for people. Like you were saying, and I, I was like, a lot of things that you were saying in that book, I was like, oh my god, I totally agree. But that resonates in someone's total day plan between they wake if an eight an eight to six day, probably they'll work like maybe like they'll get two or three like solid work hours. Yeah. They're like mostly scrolling on their phone. They're right. like texting their friends or talking. They're like talking at the water cooler. Like how much of that real eight, 10 hour day do you spend with real, like really working? Right. So like, I, I think it's so, it would be so much better if like people had that like come to Jesus moment, even in corporations. I and mean, like, you know, this is like human nature a lot of times because yeah. You can't concentrate for 12 hours. You can't. It's, impo it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. So like to have that one, then, then you're actually more efficient with your time in these 90 minute blocks. I'm sorry. Yeah. 90 yeah, minute blocks. 90 minute blocks. And, 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 you know, just kind of come in full circle again on how I wrote the book. You know, as a coach, you're, you're always reading, right? You're right. always trying to develop yourself so you can then pass information and develop your players. And I started to read all these books. And I said, I mean, these are, these are theory-based books. These are classroom-based books. Mm -hmm. These are not real-life case study books. So I said, okay, I work with the best in the world in sports and business, and they don't do what these people right. are saying to do. I said, so I'm going to write a book that's not just a book. I want it to be a handbook to where you can reference anything in there and and it'll have some direct application that's what i was thinking to, to your life and direct it wasn't meant to, it's meant to be written in a sports tone it's meant to be real it's like we're it conversing works. yeah yeah and and um it's that's what i wanted i wanted people to know listen high performers they deal with the same thing that you deal with and just because you're not um you don't have this perfect routine yet you can get one mm -hmm. and when you do get it you'll probably struggle with it too right so it's all normal so we're normal i'm normal you're normal don't feel weird 
It's just what it is. That's what I liked about it, though. Like, it was easy to get through because it was, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, was it was kind of like a handbook. Like, you can, you can turn to anything at any time and, and have a practical piece of information that you right. can adapt, that you can integrate. And it's like, yeah, you know what? That's true. Look at that thing. It's, and it's not hard. These are not hard, complicated theories. It's, it's very doable. Yeah. Right? Like, even stuff as simple as, you know, how loyalty, how important loyalty is to be for success. Like, right. you know, having loyal people around you, you being loyal. What was another one that was just what, for, for a winning formula? Yeah, what, one, of my, one of my favorites in there is um, if you're going to eat, you got to digest. So a gentleman that gave me that one is one of my clients. He's a multi-billionaire and he's an amazing guy. He, he only works four days a week. Right. And he told me, he's like, you know, you in business, right? Everybody's so hungry, right? They're on that hustle mode. They're always hustling and they're working to acquire. He said, but if, when you acquire something, it's very important that you sit with what you acquire and let that, let that kind of expand and let it open up and see what that acquisition is gonna do. Don't be so focused on the next acquisition. Yeah. Sit with what you have and develop it and see what happens naturally with that. It's and the, hard yeah, and the story was that. like I, I opened a bunch of gyms in the New York area. Yeah, and I, this guy was my client the whole time, and I opened one, and we were doing great. So, the amateur mind says, "Well, let me open another one." Right, and then that starts doing well, and then I said, "Well, I got something here. Let me open another one." And he says, "You know, I was watching you bury yourself," and I said, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" He said, "I did. You didn't listen." So that's how that story evolved. Oh. But it says, if you're going to eat, you better digest. Yeah. So that's a simple lesson. It is a simple, it's, it's, it is a simple, it's a great, it's a great lesson. Um, and then also reframing. Who was that? Yeah. You were, you talked a lot about reframing, like ideas, like people get themselves very worked up over like the big day, you know, the big yeah. game, the big moment in life. Yeah. So that's a and, great story I always tell about Mariano Rivera. And I go back to, um, this started in 1995 when I watched him pitch for the first time. And this guy is a skinny Panamanian kid. And I said, what's he going to do? And he leans back and he throws 97 miles an hour. And I said, wow, you have my attention now. And, you know, as a, again, I'm, I was in high school at the time. So I'm trying to figure out who I am, what I stand for and everything else in between. And I see this guy and I, and I say, man, this, this is an incredible player. So years later, I actually got the chance to, to coach him for a large amount wow. of his career. So here we are. We live in the same um county just a couple towns away up in westchester new york and he calls me up he says hey can you come over to the house it's in the winter i need you to stretch me and, and work on me so i go to his house we're in the basement we're just talking and i said you know what it's time i gotta ask you this question how do you do it like people say you have ice in your veins people watch you pitch in the biggest situations and you have no fear and the game's on the line and everything how do you do it and he says, buddy, <laughs> I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. He says, that's it. He says, you see, I don't pay attention to the externals. He says, because they will, I don't let them inside. He says, I, I control what's inside of me. I control how I respond and how I react to things. He said, so if I don't acknowledge those things, they're not real. And I said, well, what about the big situations? Game on the line, World Series. And he says, buddy, every situation is the same. We decide what we give life to. So that was a very defining conversation for me because I said, how many things do I pay attention to that, that get me totally worked up? Mm -hmm. And when you understand that concept, you decide what gets you worked up and what doesn't. Right. So people say, man, you're very relaxed. You can decide what it is that you get elevated from. Now, does it take work and does it take practice? Yes. Are there some people more gifted at this naturally than others? Yes. But ultimately, if you understand that fundamental concept, very few things will get you nuts. No, I, and I think that like anything, you got to practice anything to get good at it. Yeah. And that's a great example. You can keep on talking yourself into remembering those things, right? Yeah. Remember that if you just reframe that, and that's a great, that's a great piece of advice from him because how many times have I gotten myself in a really shitty situation because I've worked myself up or like you, I, I, you become like, you so become so overwhelmed by the idea of something that can mm. be so simple that you end up doing nothing. Yep. Right. And here, here's something you can kind of pair with that. I say, well, well, why are you so wound up? Like, why is this little thing 
causing a spillover, right? Right. And I think it goes back to what a lot of us deal with today. There's so much consumable information. We have so many things that we're doing and trying to do and accomplish. And it's like, well, what if we can get really singular? And what if we can say, hey, for, for me right now in my life, what is the greatest like income producing activity that I could do? Right. So if, if it's a podcast and that's how how where, where your position of strength is, then that's where you double down. Right. But too many of us, we try to do too many different things mm -hmm. in order to achieve this one goal. And we may not need to be doing 75 percent of those things. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's usually a 25 percent. That's really what's generating you your result. Right. You can be spread so thin and you end up doing and, and doing a lot of things kind of half-assed versus being focused on one thing and doing right. it exceptionally. Yeah, and A-Rod gave me a great, a great quote years ago when we were talking about this. And he said, listen, I prefer to go an inch wide and a mile deep instead of a mile wide and an inch deep. Such a good time. It's true though. Yeah, it's totally true. You know, and, and the more people I meet that are at the top of their game, they don't do a whole lot. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they have to do to get the result that they that they desire. Derek Jeter knows exactly how many swings he has to take per day to get that result. Absolutely. So the question I always ask is, do you know what that is? Do you, people listening, right. do, does anyone, you know, do you take the time to think about what is the one thing that I could do or one or two things that I could do to get the biggest result? Absolutely. That's a, I like that. That's exactly, that's very true. And I see that Alex, a-Rod, otherwise known as, I call him A-Rod anyway, um, he is one of your testimonials yeah. on your book. Where's Derek Jeter though? I see Brandon Steiner, John Gordon, yeah. I, Alex I, Rodriguez. I, I, I didn't ask Derek Jeter actually on what? that one. Yeah, Why? I know. Well, I wanted one baseball player, I wanted one guy oh. in business, and I wanted one author. Do you still speak to Derek Jeter? Yeah, and I have I have other books I'm working on now, so you'll see oh, some of those okay. other names. Well, I, you know what, I, I, I hone into him because you know, like I said, I'm not like, I'm not like an official, I'm not a pro at, at baseball, but he's one of those guys that's always st stood out to me and probably right. every other girl, but more, because, not because he's cute and has nice eyes, but he <laughs> always came across like a class act. Yeah. Even without you telling me that, or even reading the book, like I said, you can just tell people he had that, like he has a vibe about him. Yeah, there's a grace and a professionalism. Uh, absolutely. That's brought to, to each situation. Yeah. Um, so I, and I, in the book I wrote, you know, Derek Jeter is just an introverted guy from the Midwest. Wow. You know, that's what he is. And, and he's maintained that and he's, he's stayed that his whole career. And he's not like a media whore. You don't see him. I yeah, mean, he's, he's kind of just like low key, does his thing. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. Nope. He's, and he knows it. And, and that's, that's again, going back, you know, when you look at these guys that have had immense success, um, I have clients in the business world, they, they try to not do articles. They don't want to do media. Right. They, they just, they don't want to bring any attention to themselves. Right. Right. I mean, to be by the, just to be at one team for 12 years is, is, is truly amazing. Yeah. Cause it's a business. I feel that there's a lot of turnover, right? Mm. And there's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of follow the money and follow the money. Like, did you get, did you get a lot of, did a lot of people come after you and try to poach you from, from every yeah, other when team? you when you are with the Yankees, you become a very valuable commodity in, in what you do. So there were opportunities, you know, with other teams. But for me, I said, when you stop your career, where's the best place to stop? Right. And right. that and that's and that was what I said. I said, you know what? When you can take the Yankees' name with you for the rest of your days, it's a good place to stop because there's some real legends that were a part of that. Oh. So, so it's really cool. And, and, um, and I just enjoy sharing those, <laughs> it's amazing. those stories with people. Do you know a couple of first of all, you started with the Yankees and you stopped with the Yankees. So right. you also did your, you, you began your career. And that's what I'm saying. Most people don't begin and end their career at the same place. And I, you know, I guess with the Yankees, I had a boyfriend like years ago who I still am friendly with. Who is so, who is so fanatical about the about the Yankees? He's lost relationships, yeah. friendships. Like it's unbelievable. His whole life is revolved around. It's amazing. The Yankees. And you, he's not the only one. Yeah, wait. You see these diehard fans. I know the team. We just signed and acquired a big time pitcher uh, last night, 
and you go on social media and it's everywhere. People are are going crazy for this move and excitement and and I I can see it. You know, sometimes we look at these fans and say, "Man, they're they're crazy." And then I remember I was one of them at one point. I was going to say as a young kid. And I, I just can't imagine how surreal it must be for you just as a as a guy being such a fan like I said and then now work then working for them for so many years like yeah. how did your perspective and then we'll and we'll kind of like we'll like end with this a little a little bit but how did your perspective change at all afterwards well you know what when you are affiliated with an organization that again professionalism is mm-hmm. is number 1 but i think number 1a is winning mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and you're bred to win and you're bred to think about winning and you're bred to to see victory and feel it i don't think that conversation is had very often today in in our um does i don't come across people talking about winning and going after it in in that way that sports mm-hmm. kind of uh instills in you. How so, about Dodgers? The Dodgers. People are huge Dodger fans too. I think everyone's yeah. a big fan of whatever team they have. Well, well, yeah. But Yankees is like next level, I get it. It's it's next level, but and I think I'm talking more I would say that I'm talking more of just being brought up in sports. Right. Right? Cuz the energy that that is in sports mm-hmm. is it's an amazing thing. I mean to to actually wake up and say I have to go win today. And I need to get these guys ready to win today. Like you're thinking about nothing but winning. Right. and it's it's what you're judged on it's what your performances are based on it's whether you get the ring or not at the end of the year by the way i love that ring thank you uh you're welcome and if the dodgers called you today and said hey you know what we'd love for you to come on board as a director of strength and conditioning would you do it uh you know what i'm i'm at a place in in my career where i actually like the diversity of what i get to do like tomorrow i'm flying back to new york tonight you know i have to fire up a sales team you know for a 200 plus million dollar company. Mm. I love that, right? right? That's awesome. And then the next day I have to personally coach a a hedge fund private equity manager. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And then I also have my athletes. So, yeah. um I would do more on the consulting side more so than day-to-day operations. Got it. So who are some of the athletes that you still work with? that I still work with. Yeah, you said you have some independent people you yeah, still work with. Yeah, well, you know with. what? I'm working now more with like college kids mm. that are that are kind of moving up and and guys that are moving into the minor league ranks. So it's it's kind of cool to be uh able to tell these war stories of these names that everybody knows yeah, and definitely. then be working with the next generation of players. Right. And and it's cool to be able to give them the insight and the intel that they don't yet have. Absolutely. And um and kind of prepare them for what's in front of them. Well, you all, and I also want just to say this, you did write some a child a children's book, right? I did. I wrote two of them actually. Two? Uh, two. I I oh, I, I wrote one. You know what it is? I went to go talk to a school and I talked to middle school kids about leadership. And it was so cool. I would invite these young kids up to the microphone to face their class, the whole class, the whole school really. There was about 250 kids. And I would have the kids come up and say, "Hey, tell tell your classmates one thing that you're afraid of." And for a little kid in middle school to do that and tell the kids in front of them that, it was big. So what happens next? All the kids start clapping. Naturally, I didn't invite it. It just happened. Wow. So then I invite the next kid up. And it was like this therapeutic experience for these little kids and I said, "Man, you know what? I want to create a book and a series of book called Champion Kids." Oh, that's I the series that. Champion Kids where I take lessons from sports and address topics from bullying and that's my book um Johnny the Jet saves the day. It's about a baseball player on his way to the field. He gets pushed off a bike by the neighborhood bully and instead of fighting back, he says, "You know what? There's something going on with this kid. There's a reason why he's behaving this way. Let me invite him to join my team." And he becomes one of the best players on the team. Oh and then gosh. after that, I said, "I have this book for boys." I mean, girls read it as well. I said, "Let me write something for girls." So I created a book called "Girls on the Run," and it's about my niece. Her name is Melina, <laughs> and she becomes uh, a soccer player, the best soccer player in the world. And she has to go up against this team called the Mean Girls, and she knows she can't beat them by herself. So she invites her teammates to come together. They put their hands in, and they become known as the Girls on the Run. And and it's about girls. working together instead of as their own independent entity so well, working I mean, together 
Like teamwork. Teamwork. You need to, I, I need to see these two books. First yeah, of all, we'll I have a four, yeah, please, because I have a four-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy. And I did see briefly about the baseball book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my little one, Dylan, will love this book. Yeah. So I love that. Um, well, this has been really enjoyable for me. I hope you, you had a good time. Thank you, I did. Um, you know, I mean, I know I made you walk for over an hour, but it's, you like to walk. I had to get it in anyway. I was going to say. Now I check my box for the day. I was going to say, you usually Thank do you. two workouts. This is perfect. <laughs> You're welcome. Fake Woodway. Um, this has been great. So your book is called, for, for those of you, the book is called Habits of a Champion uh, by Coach Dana Cavalia. Yep. Good. There you go. Uh, how do people find you? Um, my website, DanaCavalier.com, and I write a daily blog all about this sort of stuff, leadership with a sports angle, um, and, and it's a lot of fun. We have a nice little community, and the book is on Amazon. Well, that's it. this has been a real delight, honestly. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on. Happy Thank you very much. Thank you. And how many calories did you burn? Uh, Press the white button. The white button. 159. All right. So, all right. Got all a little right. more to do to get breakfast off. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good one, everyone. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.